What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane. And Dwayne, we have made it. We are through 17, 16 weeks. We are getting to week 17. It's, you know, I, it all starts to run you together. Don't even but remember now. I don't even remember <laughs> anymore. But uh, first of all, how was your holiday weekend? And, and are we ready for what is championship week for a lot of people? Wow. Yeah, it was it was amazing um, getting to hang out with the family and the friends. You know, I mean, it it was a good time, you know, got to open a lot of gifts, got to watch other people open gifts, you know, got to open a few fantasy gifts. Some <laughs> gifts, you know, though, Marcus, I I didn't have under my tree. I did not have Cam Akers for mm. RB1 overall under my tree. How about you? Uh, I did not have him as RB1 overall. I thought maybe he'd be a nice little stocking stuffer. Didn't think he'd be <laughs> sort of the main event this weekend. So that was definitely a, a bit of a surprise. Some of my gifts left me wanting. I, you know, I had Justin Fields and Stefan Diggs, and uh, that was underwhelming uh. this weekend for me. So that part wasn't so great. But, yeah, a lot of other stuff that was fun, and hopefully a lot of you out there made it through to Championship Weekend. If you did, congratulations. If you didn't and you're still hanging out with us, well, we appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll have plenty of good information for you. Uh, as we go through the utilization report, which, of course, is out, and you can check that out at FantasyLife.com. Also, uh, a little bit at the end, maybe we'll talk about some Russell Wilson because – uh, he looked pretty <laughs> awful on Christmas Day and wondering whether or not he's fixable now that the Broncos have made a quarter, uh, a head coaching change, I should say, uh, with Nathaniel Hackett gone. But let's start with uh, some late season bloomers and swooners. Uh, I love this title because, <laughs> you know, some guys that here in the last couple of weeks have really come to life and some guys who had been treating us really well who have sort of faded into Bolivian in the last couple of weeks. And let's start at quarterback where uh, Kirk Cousins. You know, it's funny. He has this reputation about him that he's just sort of meh. And I guess for most of the year he has been. But Dwayne, the last two weeks, Kirk Cousins has really come to life. Yeah, yeah. He is absolutely on a heater. He's the QB2 over the last two games. So in your fantasy playoffs, averaging 29.3 points per game. Now, now one of those took, you know, falling behind and needing to make the greatest comeback ever <laughs> and getting some overtime play. But, you know, you, you take it any way you can get it. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, this is kind of classic Kirk Cousins. You know, when you hear people talk about him as an NFL quarterback, nobody gets super excited. But if you've been playing fantasy very long, you know that, like, this is in his wheelhouse, especially when you put weapons around him. Like, he was doing this back in his days in Washington. He would have these, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, your QB2 uh, in the in a fantasy playoffs. I'd have to go back and look. But he could have good stretches, right? He was somebody you could totally use. So it's just an offense that's, uh, you know, it's pass first. And when you've got Justin Jefferson, you know, and then Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson are really kind of fighting for the second – um, you know, the secondary targets and then Dalvin Cook and KJ Osborne or somebody else can kind of flash every once in a while and give you, you know, that third option. As long as the game scripts stay in a spot where, you know, they're having to keep their you know foot on the gas, like it's just been really good for Minnesota. Yeah, you, you talk about the weapons. We know how good Justin Jefferson is, but we've seen KJ Osborne, as you mentioned, flash a couple of times. TJ Hawkinson is one of those situations where he got traded and the team that traded for him actually wants him and uses him, which is something we don't always see. So that's, you know, I mean, it's been great, yeah. right? I mean, think about it. The, the Jets traded for James Robinson and pretty much just put him in, in mothballs for the year. So, uh, that yeah, didn't we saw several teams do that. Naheem right. Hines, uh, Claypool. I mean, most of the trades didn't work out the way that TJ Hawkinson's did. Now, obviously, CMC, right? That CMC mm -hmm. and, and, and 
Hawkinson are the two yeah. that were pretty much incorporated immediately, right? And you're like, oh, okay, nothing really changed here. We're good. We can, actually, it's probably it's better, right? It's better for both mm-hmm. guys than what it was before. Well, with McCaffrey, obviously, with Shanahan, it took an injury to some backup right. we've never heard of, you know, <laughs> um, for him to be able to truly have the backfield all to himself. But yeah, man, Kirk Cousins has been doing great. What's interesting though is like you know, if you kind of look at the flip side of this, right, and you look at you know the so that's that's kind of your bloom guy. Now you're looking at your swoon. And it's a guy that really we had just been able to start trusting. You know, we didn't know this coming into mm-hmm. the year, but like Geno Smith's been great for us. You know, just like a few weeks ago, I had finally moved him in. Like he slowly made his way up the ranks like the mm-hmm. whole year. Like it started off as, okay, this is an aberration. He can't keep this up. <laughs> and it's like, okay, fine. Well, he's streamable. He's streamable. Then it moved into, well, he's just outside of QB1 range. He's a high-end QB2. And that meant anytime he had a matchup with a potential shootout, it's like you got to get him in there. And then it became, okay, he's a QB1. Because all these other quarterbacks are also bad. And then it was finally like, okay, fine. What do we get? He's a mid range QB one. And then since that moment, <laughs> like it's not been as good for him. Like he's been the QB 17 over the last two games, 14.3 fantasy points per game. Um, and he's got a tough matchup this weekend, Marcus. He gets the Jets. That's one of those, a lot of times, you know, we don't overly worry about matchups, but the Jets, that's a really good secondary. And whenever, it, it, and we're also, we don't know if Tyler Lockett's going to play. Right. You know, Pete Carroll being the ever optimistic Pete Carroll. And, you know, you got you just got to take the good with the bad. And you just got to love that that's his personality. But he says that there's a good chance Lockett plays that that could be 25 percent. I don't know. But it's been tough because if, if you if you had Gino, you probably picked him up to replace some of these guys we've talked about so many times that were underperforming. Right. <laughs> whether it was Tom Brady, whether you lost Trey Lance, you know, um, Lamar Jackson being hurt. There's been so much happen at the quarterback position, and we thought we had something, and then the last two weeks, not so much. Yeah, it's, it, it really has kind of fallen off. Um, yeah, maybe it's – we talk about regression to the mean, right? This this sort of – kind of feels like that for Geno Smith, the guy that we've seen as kind of a journeyman who was hot to start the year and now sort of falling back into just kind of being meh, uh, maybe at the worst time for a lot of folks who have been counting on, on him all year long. Running back-wise, you talked about Cam Akers being the surprise of the weekend, the RB1 overall, three touchdowns against the Broncos. He's definitely on the way up, Well, whereas Josh Jacobs – who's been so great all year long, seems to kind of be heading in the wrong direction right now. Yeah, and with Jacobs, that really has been a case of just weird matchups and game scripts. You know, his usage or utilization hasn't changed. You know, he's still getting most of the carries. It's just bad timing and the way these things, you know, timing is everything, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, especially when you get on these little hot, if you think about it, like Josh Jacobs, like the three weeks heading into the playoffs, like there really wasn't anybody hotter. It was basically like, oh my gosh, like if somebody has Josh Jacobs, we were talking about it. Like half the teams <laughs> that had Josh Jacobs without analyzing any other part of their roster, half of the teams were a one or a two seed just mm-hmm. by drafting him alone, right? The rest of the roster could have been complete trash. And Josh Jacobs <laughs> was saving people because you were getting to start him as your RB2. Maybe he was your flex player. And if your roster was really good, like if he was like your kind of extra for you know maybe if you were in a two flex league and he was your second flex it's like wow like that's such a huge boost and yeah Mm -hmm. it's just not been good only 9.5 points per game over the last two and the raiders get the 49ers this weekend marcus like i just don't have much hope on them turning that around that is one of those matchups we care about that's brutal it's absolutely brutal. I mean, I think it it's points to the fact that, uh, what, a couple of weeks ago, well, last week, Brian Robinson had, I think, 58 rushing yards. And you're like, hey, that was a really good game against the 49ers because he was able to kind of, you know, get near 60, <laughs> which is something that, yeah. that no one's been able to do. 
Um, so that does not bode well for Josh Jacobs. Also, just I, I can't figure out the Raiders offense. Like, you know, last week they, they targeted Devontae Adams like nine times, but most of them were just uncatchable. Josh Jacobs didn't see a whole lot of work. Uh, it's been a head scratcher for the Raiders the last few weeks. Um, speaking of the 49ers, John Dotson had a, a pretty nice day against San Francisco. And, and going back and rewatching that game again the other night, made some just ridiculous catches. I mean, one on like a ball that was tipped several times. He kind of played hot potato and caught it. One just uh, in traffic and just over the shoulder catches. And we liked him early in the season. He sort of faded. He's come back and it's kind of reemerged in our lives. Whereas at the same time, Amari Cooper is sort of fading away. And I just feel like he and, and Deshaun Watson haven't yet connected. Maybe it happens uh, this week. Maybe it happens next season. But I feel like he and, and Deshaun Watson just have not really been able to get on the same page yet. Yeah, for sure. With with Cooper, the targets have technically been there. Like even this last weekend, it's a 35% target share, but it just feels so empty, Marcus. <laughs> it, yeah. Feels, yeah. it feels like you're like, okay, shut up, Dwayne. <laughs> you know, I don't care about a 35% target share. You know what I care about? 13 points. You know what I care about? Here, here is points You know, over the last four games, eight. 6.2, 9.8, and then a 13.2 was like we were kind of thankful for that. But this mm-hmm. is another guy that you were drafting in round seven, eight of your fantasy draft, and he's really performed like a low-end wide receiver one all year until the last four games. So if you had Amari Cooper on your roster, there's a good chance that your team was performing well because he was so far ahead of expectations. Right? If you drafted Amari Cooper – and you drafted, you know, someone that busted in the third round, like he was enough just to cover, you know, and be like, okay, fine. I'll just pretend Amari Cooper was my third round pick and just, you know, move on. And you were fine. You know, if you had a really good roster and you're getting to plug him in as your wide receiver three, wide receiver four, or a flex or something, it's been really good, but it's been tough. Yeah. Like you mentioned over the last several games. And then as far as Jahan Dotson goes, like you mentioned it, he kind of started off hot, but it was mostly touchdowns. It was like, oh, he catches a touchdown, it's great, but he wasn't getting a lot of targets. He was kind of lagging behind the rest of the rookie receivers, then he had the injury. But now, since he's been back, he's really started to flash. We talked about him in the utilization report a couple of weeks ago. We put him in the video a few weeks back. Of course, we had we did put out the, you know, the note that well, he does have to play the 49ers, so <laughs> as much as everything's trending in the right direction, we couldn't like put a real firm stamp of approval. So it was nice to see him come through against such a good team, but clearly the number two receiver in the offense now. He's kind of overtaking Curtis, and Curtis Samuel's still getting some work. But if you remember also, if they go to Carson Wentz, Wentz really liked Dotson early, mm-hmm. and it's really been you know Taylor Heineke, it's been really more the Terry McLaurin show. And, so, and we saw that happen immediately when Wentz came in the game. He had, I think, 16 pass attempts. He targeted Terry McLaurin once. Yeah. It was immediately back to the way that it was when we started the season. So, but yeah, Dotson looking really good, man. High target shares, big A dots. Like he's uh, fantasy points over the last three games: 16-4, 20.5, and 19.6. So, I mean, he's he's essentially performing like you know a mid-range wide receiver too over the last three games. Yeah, that when that was the thing that when Wins took over and now the conversation about you know, how long he keeps the job if he's the starter the rest of the year, my first thought was this seems very good for Dotson and good for Curtis Samuel, maybe not so much for Terry McLaurin. We'll see if maybe those two get acquainted during the week and we see some more targets uh, for McLaurin. Because, look, man, I love that Taylor Heineke had shirts, selling shirts that says, uh, bleep it, Terry's down there somewhere. Like, that. that's what we love. We love that kind of, <laughs> that kind of attitude for Terry McLaurin. Uh, tight end. George Kittle, 
uh, look, we were starting Kittle all year long just because the ceiling is still high for him when, when everything works. But, you know, early in the year, they, they weren't using him like that. Lately, they have been. Brock Purdy and George Kittle is very much a thing akin to Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle. Whereas Mark Andrews, really since coming back off injury, has been just a guy. I mean, he's been kind of like every other tight end that you pray that he gets a, catches a touchdown. Otherwise, there's not much there. Uh, Kittle, back to being elite at least the last few weeks. Mark Andrews, not so much. Yeah, Kittle without Debo or without Ayuk. If you just take one away from the equation, George Kittle's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just tough when it's a run-first offense and you've got four weapons that you've got to get the ball to. Three's enough, but we did talk about it. Once you lost Debo, who got all those targets around the line of scrimmage, the two most likely players to replace that were going to be McCaffrey and Kittle because Ayuk really works more down the field. He's on the backside of coverage. He gets a lot of looks against man, whereas Kittle and McCaffrey are going to see more against zone. And so it's just worked out great, man. Timing, if you had George Kittle and you happened to make it in and, you know, you just kept plugging away at him, 25.3 and 30 points i mean those are those are wide receiver one numbers those aren't even tight end one numbers those are wide receiver one numbers and so when you get that out of your tight end especially when you look around the rest of the battlefield you know and and not to make a bad you know analogy to battle but you know just it's been bad Mm -hmm. it's been there's been landmines everywhere at tight end like let's just put it that way and so it's uh yeah and, and andrews is a great example and andrews is one that's weird marcus because it's not like he doesn't get the targets, right. right? It's just the offense is pathetic. Like his targets, even over the last four games, 22%, 27%, 25%, 27%. He's still a really good tight end. I, there's something with the injury. Um, they're just not clicking the same way with Tyler Huntley that they did, you know, last year whenever he had to take over. So, but Andrews, if you go back and look, it's basically since he injured his shoulder and then he had a knee injury, I believe, and in week six and seven, right around that range, he's not been the same since then. So it's just uh, something's going on there with him. Yeah, and it was weird too. The, the thing you pointed out because I I looked when I was seeing the numbers, I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe they're just not going to him. And you go back and you look, and the target share has been what you want it to be. I mean, he's seeing plenty of opportunities. It's just not translating into production, and so that's been the part that's frustrating. Um, you know, it, it it's one of those things where people ask, and I I hesitate to say to sit Mark Andrews just because. Yeah, we know what he can do when everything comes together, but it's also getting hard to make that case for him just because that opportunity isn't turning into production. And, you know, as much as we like the process, at some point people want the results too. Like you can say process all you want. Yeah. You can say process all I you want, but Denny, when you guys get I love five the, uh, points, you know, it doesn't matter. I love, I love the Denny Carter meme, you know, that he always does on – Twitter, if you mm. see it, it's just like the, the decaying face, the process. <laughs> right, like, exactly. You had it right, and everybody's just like, you get to this point in the season, everybody's like, man, screw the process. <laughs> like, I, I, need, the fantasy I need points, right? Forget process. <laughs> yeah. I need results right now. So that's that's been frustrating about, about Mark Andrews. By the way, if for whatever reason your season-long season is over, uh, there's still ways to get involved. There's still ways to kind of hang out. And a good way to do that is to go check out our game hub. It is, as I like to say, a one-stop shop for everything you want. If you are still playing in season-long leagues, if you're playing DFS, if you are looking to do some betting this weekend, it's got information for all of that. By the way, you can go check out uh, BetMGM. Use the promo code LIFE, $1,000 in free bets. Uh, right now, you can go check it out, the Cowboys. Uh, a nine and a half point favorite this week, but Dwayne, I mean, I know you are heavily involved in, in putting together content for that game hub. It is, it's pretty impressive. And I feel like over the weeks since it's been launched, it's only getting better. 
Yeah, and I will say with with the Cowboys right now, many of the other books are already moving. Right now on MGM, you can still get it at minus nine and a half. This, this is Malik Willis, you know, <laughs> playing this weekend. So, right. and there's a chance that Tennessee could rest starters because really they just need Week 17, or yeah, they just need to win next weekend. Doesn't even really matter what happens, you know, this weekend. So, um, it's just a situation where it's like, okay, this we know this line's going to move, but yeah. It's it's awesome because whether you're wanting to look at the stats, you're wanting fantasy information, you just want betting information, you want pick them, you just want to see the projections, you want injury news. It's one place where you see it all nice and tidy together, easy flow. You can get all the information you need, yeah, in just one place. Yeah, it's so it's so so cool. I remember checking it out when it first launched and going and just peeking and looking at stuff. It's great. So uh, go dive in if you haven't already. Also, if while you're there, uh, as you go dive in on the utilization report, it is up and live at fantasylife.com. So let's kind of dive into some of these things. Starting at quarterback, where Gardner Minshew stepped in, played very well against the Cowboys. Eagles come up short in a huge game in the NFC East. Now, not sure at the moment if Minshew is back in action just because Jalen Hurts says he wants to play. But uh, look, if if worst case scenario for Philadelphia, there's no Jalen Hurts and Gardner Minshew is back in there again. I think what we saw last week against Dallas Gives you a lot of confidence that, that this guy can go out and, and get it done, at least in the short term for Philly and for everybody else in that offense. Yeah, and that's the main thing here. If Jalen Hurts does not play, that's going to really – Gardner Minshew, you at least have to look at him as like a high-end QB2, you know, and he's going to have A.J. Brown. He's going to have Devonta Smith. You've got Dallas Goddard, so he's got the weapons. Um, we saw that they're willing to be aggressive with him. Um, they're willing to really open up the offense with Minshew. Um, he's probably the best backup quarterback in the in the league. He could be starting for some teams. You know, like if he played for Washington right now, my guess is he would be the starter over Heineke <laughs> and Vince. Like he's he's decent. Like he has something to his game. And it's kind of it's only appropriate, right? The week that after we have the passing of Mike Leach, that Gardner Minshew comes out here, hmm. you know, and throws for over three hundred yards like it's no big deal. You know, he had two picks, but he also threw the two touchdowns. So he's just in a really good offense with all the weapons around him. And he's one of these kind of guys, honestly. Like he's like a he could be like a Kirk Cousins. Like that's mm. what he could be. You put him in the right offense, you let him drop back, throw the ball, you know, forty times in a game, you're probably gonna get a lot of fantasy points, you know, because of all the weapon weaponry that he has around him. And he is able to make those reads and get it to the right person at the right time. And he's got solid accuracy, so that gives those guys a chance to run after the catch, all those sort of things that you want. Um, honestly, like it's it's the best kind of it's a dream scenario for a backup quarterback for a team like the Eagles with Super Bowl aspirations. It really is the best case scenario. I, I also sort of looked around and said, man, considering the hype there was over Mitch Trubisky last year for being Josh Allen's backup and that got him so much attention, I feel like for Gardner Minshew, you go out and you have a performance like that against the Cowboys in a key situation. Like you at least got to get a Trubisky type bag in the offseason. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see if there's any any interest in him, but uh yeah, it, it's definitely good for Philadelphia to know you have somebody like that that can step in in the event that Jalen Hurts can't go. Talked about Carson Wentz and he took over against the 49ers after Taylor Heineke had some struggles in the second half. I guess, one, do you believe that, that he's going to take this job for the rest of the year? And we talked a little bit about what it means, but, you know, does that mean the arrow is pointing up on guys like Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel now? Yeah, it's it's really hard to say whether or not he's going to take over. And, of course, you know, Washington's going to keep that information shrouded as long as possible because they just want their opponent to guess, right? Who are they going to be facing? Like, that's the, co the coaches take 
I don't want to say pride, but they enjoy that. They feel yeah. like that's an advantage <laughs> to know that they could make the opposing defensive coordinator have to prepare for two quarterbacks all week. Like they want that. So mm. we're probably not going to hear until later in the week, but it was pretty bad for Heineke. Um, it, it was a situation where he came out in those last two drives on the first play of back-to-back drives. He just threw a pick. And so after that, it was like, okay, we're going to win. So it just really got so bad for Heineke, but it was against a good defense in the 49ers. So you could really see it go either way, Marcus. Like it, it, there's a part of you that's like, okay, that's just an end game thing. That's like, look, dude, two picks sit down. It's not your day. We're going <laughs> to let Wentz go, but it could also be, Hey, we can't afford to do that again. We're going to go with Carson Wentz. Um, but really, Wentz has the same ability to deliver right. those kind of picks. So, you know, I mean, we've seen Wentz do it. We've seen Wentz, you know, definitely mail in some games that have been winnable in the past, um, you know, just making some some big-time errors. So I will say, overall, I think it is a plus for the passing game um, because we've seen Washington be willing to throw the ball a little bit more with Wentz. Now, they're a different team now. Their defense is playing better. I think they would continue to want to try to be more of a balanced run team based on what we've seen. But I think there's a little more room for them to open it up. They never really want to open it up with with Taylor Heineke. Um, you know, he's a real hot and cold quarterback, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot of these things we're saying, like Wentz is one of those guys that can also <laughs> yeah. can be really hot and cold. But, you know, we, we know that Wentz can drop back and throw the ball 45 times, and there is a chance that it's a good outcome. Like, we've seen it a lot of times in his career. Um, I would say it's positive for Dotson. You kind of hit on this earlier. It's positive for uh, Curtis Samuel. It's positive overall for the just passing volume period, but it's not good for Terry McLaurin. Um, you know, you know, we'll I have, we can go ahead and talk about Terry McLaurin now. It's sure. just like it all ties together. I know we have him later in the show notes, but um, you know, whenever you look at McLaurin with and without, you know, Taylor Heineke, like it's very stark. So since week seven with Heineke. He's been among the league leaders in target share at 29%. Yards per route run, 2.63. Those are elite, elite numbers. But if we go back to the time earlier in the year with Wentz, and we even include this time from this last game, I just filtered it to all plays with Carson Wentz, 16% target share, 1.44 yards per route run. So I don't know why that is. But for whatever reason, we've seen it all year, and then it definitely happened again over those last two drives, 16 passing attempts, only one target for Terry McLaurin in that time. Uh, it was really all about Logan Thomas, Jahan Dotson, uh, and Curtis Samuel. Yeah, so, I mean, it just goes to show how much a quarterback can make a difference in terms of who's getting the target share, where the ball is going. And, and it seems like if there is a change coming, uh, that, that, that means there are different guys that we need to kind of pay attention to in that Washington offense. In Atlanta, as we look at running backs here, uh, Tyler Algier was a guy that we sort of liked early in the season, kind of a sleeper, especially when Cordero Patterson was hurt. We definitely liked Algier. Then when Patterson came back, he wasn't getting as much work. But the last two weeks, uh, 17 carries two weeks ago, 18 carries just this past week. It seems like Arthur Smith, I don't know if this is a, hey, we want to see what we have with some of these young players or if there really is, you know, he feels like a strategic advantage. Whatever the reason, though, Dwayne, Tyler Algier is starting to see more work now here and late in the season and and has a, a pretty good matchup coming up this week as well. For sure. And so the Falcons are out of it, to your point. They cannot make the playoffs at this point. And you've got Corderell Patterson, who is on a two-year deal, and he's an older guy. What mm-hmm. What's the point in putting more carries on Cordero Patterson? Like, you know who he is. You know what he is. So you're seeing a little bit less work for him. He's still involved. But the thing that's been most interesting for, for me with Algier is he's really been staying on the field and passing downs. 
It's not like they're just pigeonholing him to being this, hey, we're going to let you handle the early down work, and then we're going to take you off the field in other situations. It's basically like when it's his drive, it's his drive. And he's getting – last week he had 59% of the snaps. So, I mean, he's like a 55 to 60% guy now. And if you look at his rushing attempts over the last two games, 50 and 56%. And that may not seem like a lot, but the Falcons are the number one rush team in the NFL as far as how often they want to run the ball. And they don't care. They can be they can be getting blown out, and they will keep running the ball. They Arthur Smith is steadfast in his you know stick to itness, if you will, you know, in the run game. And it just there's not a game script the man has seen that pushed him off of this. And with a young quarterback like Desmond Ritter, I don't think you're going to see that change. To be honest, over the last few games, I think their offense is what it is. And so fifty percent is what. It's really good in this offense. It leads to what you just said, 17 carries and 18 carries over the last two games. Now, the other interesting part is last week, he saw a season high in route participation. He had 16% target share. So he had five targets last weekend. So he had eight rushing attempts, five targets. And they don't have many other people to throw the ball to, Marcus. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you've got Drake London. That's it. Yeah. I mean, there's not really anyone else earning targets there since Kyle Pitts has been gone. So, yeah, I like Algier. I think he's an RB, a low-end RB2, mm-hmm. but he can give you these RB1-type performances. And he's a little more steady than some, like Deonta Foreman. You know, there's other guys that fit in this bucket. But because the Cardinals, not the Cardinals, the you know um, Falcons are so willing to stick with the run, mm-hmm. it makes him, a, his, his role's a little more insulated than some of these other guys that get the early down work because once they fall behind, their team will just go to the pass. Arthur Smith won't, so that that's a really good thing for Tyler Algier. I mean, hooray for stick to itiveness, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't seem to make sense, you know, for us from a football standpoint, but for fantasy, I guess we we sort of love it, especially if you're starting Tyler Algier. If you've been starting Cam Akers, the last few weeks have been pretty good. I mean, you know, the last two weeks before this past week, you know, they were fine. He was getting you know sixty some odd yards, maybe fine in the end zone, putting up decent numbers. Then has the huge blow up game against the Broncos, and you know, maybe this was the Cam Akers we were hoping for this year, and it took forever for it to happen. I, look, I, I don't, I don't care if it's a fluke or not. It's happening. And I guess that's the part, the part to look at. And I don't know, Dwayne, I look at it as he is the last real playmaker in this Rams offense. So it just makes sense for them to lean on him for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, and why not just go ahead and know for sure what you have? Like, it's been a tumultuous year for him. Um, You know, it's been a a bad year for the Rams. Mm -hmm. And to your point, who else are they going to get the ball to? It's him and Higby. Like, that's really all they have. And so with Akers, we have seen his role expand from a utilization perspective over the last four games. Three out of the four games, he's been over 70% of the snaps. The last um, three games, he's been over 60%. Actually, the last four, all the last four, over 60% of the rushing attempts. Um, And then route participation has been up over the last two games, 61% and 60%. Now, he's still not getting the passing down work, but they're not using the two-minute offense. Apparently, their offense is so bad they don't want to be in a hurry at any moment like in a game. It's just like, that guy's yeah, we'll just we'll go at our normal pace, you know, let's huddle up, you know. Um, but long down and distance stuff, that is still going to Malcolm Brown. But what they're doing, because they don't have these other passing game weapons, they're getting him out into a route more often than what you typically see on the early downs. So that is keeping him involved. And occasionally you will see this with certain offenses where a guy doesn't have the true passing down, quote unquote, role, if you will. And they can still survive because their team likes to utilize them heavily on first and second down whenever they decide to pass on those downs. And that's really just been the case. Not, I wouldn't say heavy. 
It's hard to be a 20% target share guy in this kind of thing that Akers has going, but he's had 15% and 7% over the last two weeks. So that's been three targets and two targets. So if you can get, you know, somewhere between 16 and 18 carries and two to three targets, you're right at that 20 touch threshold. And if they have a chance to score, they're going to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got six rushing touchdowns over the last four games. And it's not like he's breaking off long runs. It's when they get down inside the five-yard line, they're just basically saying, Cam Akers, here you go, man. You can, it's, it's your show. Let's see if you can get us in. And so that's been the huge part for Akers, you know, over the last four, uh, over the last four games. He's been the RB8, RB21, RB22, and RB1. And his utilization backs it up. It really does. And this weekend, they get the Chargers. So. Yeah. Right. There's more opportunity to get him in there. You know, it, it's maybe a thing that we'll never know, but I am curious what what has gone on behind closed doors. You talk about it being a tumultuous season. It was, it seemed like he was on again, off again with Sean McVay for so much of the year. And I don't know if they just came to an understanding the last few weeks. It's like, hey, we need you. You need us. Let's figure out how we can make this work. But whatever it is, uh, things have come together well for Cam Akers, uh, even if the Rams are long since out of everything. But uh, that, that means pretty Hopefully opportunity for him this week and into week 18 as well. Aaron Jones, not seeing quite as much work. You've got him as a downgrade this week. Uh, One, curious why. I guess I know why. But also, does this mean A.J. (laughs) Dillon is an upgrade? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I did downgrade Jones, and I had upgraded Dillon the week before, and I was just looking at it. I wasn't going to go up again two weeks in a row just because (laughs) – well, it's just tough in this offense. Like right. when I look back at it and how it's just really not been great for Dylan. Um, now, I think he's fine. I think he's usable. Like four weeks ago, AJ Dylan was unusable. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't even have him near a lineup. Now, if you need him as your flex play, you want him as an RB3 with upside, you can totally use him. Aaron Jones, we did see over a nice stretch of games that basically they had said, you're the better running back. You're playing better. We're going to give you 55 to 60% of the rushing attempts. And that went on for several weeks. And I don't know if it's to do with the injury. I don't know if they just kind of had a change in philosophy. Maybe A.J. Dillon started practicing better. We, have, we really don't know. It could be some combination, really, of all those things. Um, but over the last three games, the rushing attempts for Aaron Jones, 29%, 49%, and 29%. Mm. So he's just not in the same role. And then it's not like he's picking, up, picking it up in route participation either. Routes, 34%. He did have 61% in week 15, but this last weekend, 28%. And a game where you lose Christian Watson in the first half, you can't find a way to get Aaron Jones involved in the passing game. I don't know. I can't understand it. I can't comprehend it, but they're winning right now. Mm-hmm. And what do coaches do when they're winning, Marcus? They don't they're change like, This anything. is our recipe. Yep. <laughs> We're going to stick with it. Yep. You know, so I don't have a lot of faith in it changing. And so at this point, you know, we had a guy that was really profiling as a low end RB1, maybe even a mid range RB1. And you know, because his efficiency had been so good. But now it's like, man, he's really more of like a mid-range RB2. Like you're still using him in fantasy because you know he has that blow-up ability, but the floor is just gross. You saw it this last weekend, 5.8 points. You know, the week before, 22.6. The week before that, 10. So he's a bit all over the board right now, and there's just not the consistency that we want. You're basically just hoping that it's the week they're going to use him, and we don't know when it's going to be, and we don't know why. We don't know what we don't know what triggers it in a game to like, Oh, this is an Aaron Jones game. I I can't tie it to anything. And so I hate that. There's nothing that I can give the people to say, this should be an Aaron Jones week because that trend doesn't exist. 
And so it's really random. So and that's I, tough. And I think it's just frustrating because I came into the season believing that we would see a lot of Aaron Jones just because there was so much unknown with the wide receivers. I mean, you know, there were expectations for Christian Watson, but early on it, it took him a while to get going. Romeo Dobbs was sort of a nice piece, but you never felt like he was completely a game changer. Alan Lazard is, is still sort of Alan Lazard. It just felt like the Packers should have to lean on Aaron Jones and to some point A.J. Dillon. And it's just been, as you mentioned, so inconsistent. You look at his game logs. You know, one week he, he runs for 130 yards and he follows it up with 36. Then it's 100. Then it's 20. It's just been so yep. uh, here and there and just scattershot that it's been really, really frustrating. Um, and, and I'm with you. I don't have any explanation. I wish I knew something. <laughs> I wish, you know. I, we, I was hoping you had something. No, I wish I did, <laughs> man. If I did, I, I think my season would have been a whole lot better off in some respects than it, than it did. But, I, you know, and Matt LaFleur is giving us nothing. So, We'll see. We'll see what uh what what there is for Aaron Jones the last couple of of games of the season. Latavius Murray had been doing pretty well. I, I felt like he had been a nice pickup for the Broncos after they scapegoated Melvin Gordon and you know and just sort of released him. Uh, you know, despite so many other issues in that offense, they they seem to have pinned it on him. Latavius Murray was doing a fairly good job. Then Sunday they get run out of the building and you start to see more Chase Edmonds. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're not going to give up 50 points a game uh, for the, each of the ne- their last two games. But the the emergence, the reappearance of Chase Edmonds, Dwayne, does give me reason to hesitate a little bit about Latavius. Yeah, and honestly, Marlon Mack played well enough in the two games before that they just aren't removing him. No one was talking about it, but but Marlon Mack was essentially like Jarek McKinnon light, mm. you know, not really on the field, getting passing down work. And he had RB14 finishes in back-to-back weeks in week 14 and 15. And so now you got Chase Edmonds coming in. He took over all of the two-minute offense. He took part of the, of the long down and distance stuff. Marlon Mack also jumped in a little bit there, but it's just three's a crowd. When you have a bad offense, you know, two, we can live with as long as we kind of know what their, you know, their roles are. And we, we really saw that most of the carries were going to go to Latavius Murray, right? He had been, he has, he saw 67% of the rushing attempts in week 15. That's when he put up his 21.2 points, but he had really been hit or miss anyway. He had been running back 27 in week 13, running back 34. And then week 16 was, it was, it was bad. Um, RB 48, <laughs> only five fantasy points. Um, you know, so my guess is, you know, he'll still see like 40% of the rushing attempts, but like his knowing that if the game strip goes right, you don't know that he can get to 65%. That used to be a ceiling. And that made it, if you had him, you were like, okay, fine. I'll throw him in there. If it goes bad, it goes bad. But if it goes right, you know, I could get 15 to 20 touches. We don't even know if that's in his range of outcomes anymore. It could very easily be, oh, everything went right. And he has 45% of the touch of the rushing attempts. He only had 35%. This last weekend, you had Chase Edmonds with 26 percent. You had Marlon Mack with 17 percent. So it's just, uh, you know, that's too many ways to divide anything to do with the Denver offense. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a lot of ways to divide it, and it's a bad offense. If, if you were looking at that <laughs> and they were scoring 40 points a game, maybe you could sort of make a case for it. But for a team that struggles to get to, you know, 17 on a good week, uh, there's just there's too many guys, I think, involved in that situation. I mean, we have people complaining they don't want to start Isaiah Pacheco, right? right? The best offense in the league that's going to get the same number of carries. It's just like really hard to want to use Murray at this point. Like I would not want him in my lineups in championship weekend. No, no, definitely don't want him uh, if, if you're playing for a title this week at all. Raheem Mostert seems to be trending that direction. I don't know, Dwayne. You, you talked about Aaron Jones and the Packer running back utilization. 
on some level. I don't know. <laughs> it's if, very similar. It's, it's, it feels similar, right? Because Jeff Wilson gets traded there, and all of a sudden, that first week, first two weeks, he just completely takes over. Like, all right, well, Raheem Mostert, I guess, is, you know, we can just leave him on the bench. Then you have some weeks that Mostert actually gets more of the carries and has some big games. Then it goes back to Jeff Wilson. So I don't know if, if Mike McDaniel and, and, you know, Matt LaFleur are, texting each other about what to do with running backs or, or whatever it is, but there's just as much confusion for me in Miami as there is in Green Bay. Yeah, I think that's a good, um, you know, that's a good parallel. We, we really <laughs> don't know for sure what they're going to do. Um, but what we know is, like, there's just really a chance that it's not Mostert. Um, and, you know, so Wilson's kind of in the same bucket, but Mostert had to get a downgrade. You had mentioned he had kind of been on a little hot run, right? Over mm-hmm. the last three games before week 16, he had 61% of the snaps, then 73% in week 14, 76% in week 15. Rushing attempts, 78%, 69%, 71%. You get to week 16, it plummets to 38%. Now, in week 15, he did not have Jeff Wilson in the lineup. Week 14, Jeff Wilson got hurt early in the game. So I think it's really like a 55, 45, 60, 40 thing. And it's just based on the way the game is going or who they think is hotter that gets the 60. I don't think, I I don't know that they even know going into the game because the game where he got hurt um, and he only played 16% of the snaps in week 14, I felt like it was coming. I was watching that game and Mostert was kind of struggling Mm -hmm. and Wilson came in and had like a couple of good runs. And then the next series, it was Wilson again. And then the next series it was Wilson and he got hurt on that drive. And I was like, Oh man, Wilson's about to take over this game. You know, when we say take over, get 65% of the work, 60% of the work. So I think they're both pretty, you know, tough to play. You know, I mean, the other problem is they're always in each other's way, even if the other one's hot. Mm -hmm. So like say, say Raheem Mostert does get hot. Well, Jeff Wilson isn't going to zero. Like he's still going to get something Mm -hmm. and it's going to be enough that in a pass first offense in Miami, it's it's just caps everything. It's like, hey, great, Raheem Moser's playing really well. Like, what's it? Well, we've seen that. It was worth in a game where he didn't have to worry about Jeff Wilson at all. It was worth sixteen fantasy points. That was nice. It was an RB thirteen finish, but I mean, that's not the kind of upside that you're willing to risk it for. Like, if you knew that, oh, when they go with a hot hand, the upside's thirty points. That'd make it more worth it. Right. But neither one of these backs do that. Like, like you're hoping that you get the one that's going to score fourteen for the week. <laughs> right. and, and that's just a tough place to be. Well, I mean, when you have weapons like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, uh, you know, as, yeah. as fun as Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert are, uh, it's not quite as exciting as, you know, throwing a, a little slant to Tyreek Hill and watching him run 70 yards. <laughs> like, it's just never going to be the same. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, interesting, you know, both guys have filled a nice role for us, but it, it could be in championship week that, that neither one is one you, you really want to take a chance on starting this week. Uh, which, by the way, th- does it have a, a difference? Because Tua Tungvaluwa is in concussion protocol. Does it make a difference for you with those guys if it's Tua versus Teddy Bridgewater, say? No, no, I think mm-hmm. it's about the same. Right. Honestly, the offense doesn't change much for me uh, with Teddy under center. Um, I think it takes a slight downgrade mm-hmm. from Tua. But Tua hasn't been playing as good yeah. you know, over the last several games. So I think there's a good chance you, you get Teddy come in. And he just kind of keeps things steady, you know, manages the more and more that we're seeing Tua, the more and more he looks like a game manager and he's more like a Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, running that same style of offense. And so I think Teddy's totally capable of coming in and being a Brock Purdy. 
Oh, all right. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny you say that, too, because I did see somebody make the comparison between Tua and Jimmy G uh, just a couple of days ago. And, and there really are, I think, a lot of similarities. Hasn't gotten you uh, more than 17 points just, just once, I think, in the last month. So it has been a struggle for him uh, in fantasy lately. Wide receivers, you got Garrett Wilson as an upgrade. Is it as simple to say that he's upgraded just because Mike White is back at quarterback? I feel like we could go back and do a cut up of this show, like like five different epi- right. episodes. It's like it's like Garrett Wilson upgrade, Garrett Wilson downgrade, Garrett Wilson upgrade, Garrett Wilson, and all that you're waiting for are the words Zach Wilson. Who's, who's the quarterback? You know? Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, so you're right. That's the deal. But just kind of quick reminder: Garrett Wilson averaged eight point nine points in contests with Zach Wilson under center. Nineteen point three with White or Joe Flacco. So. It's just a huge difference, you know, uh, 9.7 targets, six receptions, 91.5 yards and 0.7 touchdowns receiving per game. Whenever Zach Wilson has not been under center, he's the clear, he's clearly the lead target on the jets. He's the best player that they have on their team. Brees Hall might take exception to that. You know, we'll see what <laughs> Brees Hall's got next year. We look forward to seeing him back, but honestly, look at the jets, man. Like they nailed it with two offensive picks. I mean, you mm-hmm. nailed it with both of those. Like, those guys are superstars. And uh, and maybe that's why they're just like, we don't have time to sit around and wait on Zach Wilson. Right. We've got to move on. We've got to move on and go in a different direction. And it sounds like this is bigger than just this year. It sounds like they're ready to kind of, you know, just pull the plug on the whole thing. And I think that's smart, you know, doing it now. Because sometimes you just know. I know you spent the number two overall pick on Zach Wilson, but I think it's the right thing to do. Just, just you know, rip the Band-Aid off and move forward. I think it probably is at this point, especially if you're you're Robert Sala. You know the clock is sort of ticking on, on what you can do with this team, and, and you've got so many other good young players on this roster. Um, maybe bring in a bridge quarterback to at least get you through the next year or two. There will be some guys out there, potentially free agents. I mean, uh, just kind of looking at this list, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, maybe a, a reunion with Robert Sala <laughs> in New York is in the offing. Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Daniel Jones. There are a lot of guys out there that could sort of fill the gap for the Jets in the short term if that's what they decided to do. Um, Traylon Burks has been sort of on the razor's edge, I think, of, of being usable in fantasy. Some weeks it just, you know, it, it didn't really pop. Some weeks he was able to catch a couple of long passes. You've got him as a downgrade. I suspect that this is a Malik Willis take more than anything specifically yeah. to do with Burks. Yeah, yeah. Burks is a guy that we'll be excited about next offseason. We'll be doing the shows and we'll be talking him up. He's a guy that will probably get under underdrafted a little bit, especially in home leagues. He's doing everything you want. Um, 22% targets per route run, 2.19 yards per route run before week 16. You mentioned that it's now the Malik Willis era for this seat for this season. Anyway, Ryan Tannehill is out. Um, and so we've got three starts with Malik Willis. Your passing yards are 55, 80 hmm. and 99 with zero passing touchdowns and three picks Malik Willis. Who knows what he's going to be in the future, but he's not ready right now to play football. And that sort of performance, you just can't use anything, you know, really with the Titans other than Derrick Henry. And and so, yeah, you nailed it. That's where we are. Traylon Burks falls down to he had he was in a he was a wide receiver three, an upside wide receiver three um, with Tannehill. Now he falls all the way down to wide receiver five territory. And you really can't use it. And I suspect with Malik Willis, you talk about the, the passing struggles. Uh, we know his athleticism. I would get the sense that when he starts to feel pressure, 
he's just more likely to take off and run, which means fewer opportunities for Burks yeah. and everybody else catching the football there. So uh, he will be an interesting offseason conversation, especially if we get more clarity about uh, Tennessee's quarterback situation. But this week, probably out for your lineups. A uh, few tight ends to take a look at. Evan Ingram, who continues to be very good. And I wonder if there are Giants fans that sit around fuming, asking where where was this Evan Ingram for all those years in New York? Right now, he's a top five tight end, showing no signs of slowing down. The whole Jaguars offense, I know we've talked about them, Dwayne, but the Jaguars offense has really stepped forward the last few weeks. Trevor Lawrence has taken, I think, a huge step forward on his own. But Evan Ingram, who was on a kind of a one-year prove-it deal, I feel like he's proven it pretty well this year. Yeah, he has played very well. He's definitely earning himself a contract. Targets over the last four games, 23%, 37%, 25%, 28%. We have not seen this sort of production or the ability to demand targets from Evan Ingram since his rookie season. So the Giants fans have a right to be like, where the <laughs> hell is this? Because it's not been there. Now, you can talk some of it being scheme, but you can talk a lot of it being quarterback play. Um, but Evan Ingram was also battling injuries a lot mm -hmm. throughout the course of his career. And this is really, I think, the healthiest we've seen him. He's battled a little bit. You know, he's had a little bit of an injury bug this year, but nothing serious. Um, and he's just healthy is what I think it comes down to. Like, when you watch him, even though the last couple of years, when you would watch him, like when he wasn't on the injury report, even though he may not have a big game, you're like, man, you could still see the flashes of this is still a mismatched tight end. Mm -hmm. This is a guy that a lot of linebackers can't hang with. He can get over the top on certain safeties, not necessarily the best route runner. That is where I do think maybe Doug Peterson has, has done him some favors. Jason Garrett would just like run him down the scene, you know, a lot, or it would just be like every time a two yard drag, there just seems to be more variety, like in all the kind of routes and things that Evan Ingram is getting to operate with. Um, you've got Trevor Lawrence, who's really raising, you know, the bar for all of the Jaguars offense. And the beauty of Lawrence is now you can start, you know, multiple, you, there's a chance multiple weapons from the Jaguars offense go off in one game. You know, as recently as like five weeks ago, that just wasn't the case. It was like, okay, who's it going to be? And most likely it was going to be Christian Kirk. But then they're occasionally be like, okay, it was Zay Jones this week. Oh, it was Evan Ingram this week. Now it's like, okay, Christian Kirk and Zay Jones could go off. And Evan Ingram may not go off in that game, but he could probably still give a 10. He could give you 10 fantasy points, you know, or it could be Evan Ingram going off with Zay Jones or Christian Kirk, right? And it could just be, you know, uh, you know, Christian with well, one of the other guys scoring 10 points. But the point being is like, there's a floor for the third guy now and there's ceilings for the other two because Lawrence is playing so well. Um, so it's just clicking right now for the Jaguars. Like they're a team, like they get in the playoffs because they have the quarterback play going like they could really, you know, make some noise, um, you know, in the NFL playoffs. So I, I love Ingram. He's a mid range tight end one, like, and he has tight end one overall upside right now, 39.2 points in week 14. Yeah. You, you talk about the rule of threes there too. And I think the Jaguars apply to that or it applies to the Jaguars. Yep. Now, when you look at whether it's, you know, pick your three, right? Kirk Jones and Ingram, Kirk Ingram, ETN, whatever, however you want to describe it, all those guys are making plays and it's made them really, really hard to defend uh, for the last month. And then the quarterback on top of that, elevating his game just makes it so much more dangerous uh, for opposing defenses. Dallas Goddard is back, which is great. I feel like anytime we can get a tight end back in our lives, it's wonderful. It was, was good to see Darren Waller come back, even though, you know, last week, not so great. But uh, Waller's back. Dallas Goddard is back. And, I mean, Dwayne, it was already hard enough to 
try and slow down the Eagles. Now they have one more guy who can catch the football and make plays. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's good news for Gardner Minshew or Jalen Hurts or anybody else. If you got if you have Dallas Goddard, I feel like you know I don't think you need hard convincing to put him back in the lineup. But you know, we're just excited that he's back. It's really similar to the situation we just talked about. You know, now this is a better offense. The Eagles overall, like they've proven they're a better offense over the course of the season, right? But with Minshew or Hertz, like they are playing well enough that you can support one really high outcome, like you saw last week with Devonta Smith, one mid-range outcome. You saw that with AJ Brown, and then one kind of floor outcome, but at least you still got a you still had a floor. Goddard you know, he only scored 9.7 fantasy points, but you'll take 10 from your tight end. Like, that's okay. The big thing for him is in his first game back, 89% route participation, which is right back to really where he had been, you know, through the season. So he does appear to be healthy. His games are going to come. Now I know we're down to one game. Now we're down to, you know, we'll, we'll be talking some other kind of contests, you know, here as we go forward. But this is championship weekend, and, you're, you know, you need it this weekend. Right. But he's as good of a bet as anybody. Right. I mean, if, if if you're not starting Kittle, if you're not starting, um, you know, obviously Kelsey, like Goddard, like as soon as you get past those two, like Goddard's name is in the mix really with anyone um, for this coming weekend. So I I'm excited about Goddard. It's also another thing that's just good for the Eagles. You know, they're getting you know, getting Goddard back at the right time, you know, for the NFL playoffs. But I think at a minimum, you know, you know, you can get eight to ten points. And that's not just been this last game. That's kind of been his floor all year. You know, he can give you that 15 to 20 points, but even in his bad weeks, he's going to give you somewhere between 12 and 10 points. And so you can always feel good about a tight end like that. Absolutely can feel good about that. Um, again, any tight end, as you said, tight end gets you 10 points. You, you kind of got to love your life. So <laughs> Dallas Goddard, very much in play in, in that respect. Last one, Kate Otten. And I, I've been looking at Kate Otten more through the lens of I'm a guy who has been trying to plug away with Mike Evans for the last couple of months. And it just feels like Evans is a guy who's a downfield threat on a team that can't get the ball downfield. And so for that reason, Chris Godwin, Kate Otten have been very much more in play. You've got Otten as an upgrade, even in an offense that has not been spectacular. I mean, they had to go to overtime to beat Trace McSorley and the Cardinals last week. Uh, but he is getting looks, and he's, he's kind of hanging out in that area where Tom Brady seems to throw the ball a whole lot. Yeah, and Otten's still going to be tough to trust in any kind of championship game unless you're – I put this one in there because we have people that play in 16-team leagues, yeah. right, 14-team leagues. And Otten's basically the only name that's out there at all. Um, and I put him on here because he finally, with a game where Cameron Brait played, he took over the lead role. He had taken over that role for a couple of games. Uh, we had even seen a tight end one performance out of him in week 13 now it wasn't a ton of it was 14.8 like you said you'll take 10 15 points is like 50 it feels <laughs> right. like you're tight end um but he was the tight end one that week but then when we saw Cameron break come back he moved back into more of a platoon kind of situation only at 55 percent and 48 percent route participation in week 14 and 15 but then last week 84 percent targets per route run of 18 percent so he's out there if he's going to be out there over 80% of the plays, that's going to give him a chance to finish as a tight end one any week that he does that. Will he get the targets? I don't know because they've got a lot of different people that they spread it around there to. He's not necessarily been an elite target earner. His targets per route run, only 13%. But we've seen flashes of it. And so if you are in a really deep league and you've got struggles going on at tight end, and you know obviously if you've made it to your championship game, you're really strong in other places – you know, Kate Otten's a name to remember. If you're thinking DFS punt play this weekend, I would put Kate Otten back into that conversation this weekend um, because th the good thing is he didn't come through with the points yet, even though his routes returned. 
So that makes for a situation where a lot of people will just ignore him. They won't know that he's suddenly in a full-time role. They'll just see the 3.2 PPR points last week and be like, ah, whatever, Kate Hot. <laughs> so um, he's a guy that you can think about from that perspective. I definitely think he's going to have a lot of appeal for, for DFS this weekend. Uh, but as you mentioned, there are teams, there are leagues that are super deep. So he could have some appeal in, in some of those situations as well. That's just a brief overview of what you can find in the utilization report. You can go check it out at fantasylife.com while you're there. Be sure to dip in on the game hub. And if you haven't already, sign up for the newsletter. Plenty of great content to help you through the next few weeks. As we turn toward the end of the show, Russell Wilson has very much been a topic of conversation all year long. I think in fantasy, we have all long since said goodbye to him for this year. The Broncos, the day after Christmas, decided to give Nathaniel Hackett his walking papers. And the big question this offseason is, can they find a head coach who can fix Russell Wilson? But maybe the question has to be asked, Dwayne. Is Russell Wilson fixable? I mean, is there something there that can be salvaged? Or have we just seen the last of a guy who was great for a number of years and maybe has just hit the end of the road? You hate to see a player like this that's been so good and think that the latter is the possibility. But here's the thing. I don't think this is just a Russell Wilson problem. I think Mm -hmm. this is a NFL defenses have evolved problem. Offenses have not figured out the counterpunch, and I don't know that the counterpunch is necessarily easy for all offenses to pull off, meaning I think you need the right kind of personnel to make it work. Um, there's probably different ways that you could do that. Um, you know, We could probably get some cool people to come on with us this offseason, mm-hmm. maybe like some people that know football really well, the X's and O's, and talk through. It would be a fun topic yes. right, to talk through this, but this is impacting Tom Brady. This is impacting Russell Wilson. This is impacting Aaron Rodgers. This is impacting everyone across the NFL passing numbers are down. The elite guys are still managing to do their things. Most of them are very mobile. Most of them are giving you fantasy points on the ground. In addition to what they're doing through the air that helps you avoid these games where they just completely bust. So I don't know that this is just a Russell Wilson problem, but it definitely is impacting him. You know, we've had one game this season where he's thrown for over 300 yards. Um, He's had one, two, three, four games where he hasn't clipped eclipsed 200 yards. Mm -hmm. So it's just been really rough on Wilson. And this is a guy that we're used to seeing be able to come through on big efficiency. That's not been there. His yards per attempt's not terrible at 7.2. It's close to the league average. Um, but this is a guy that we've seen, you know, show us that he can have an eight, an eight and a half, you know, and come through with these big down the field throws. And that's what the defenses are taking away. So I do wonder stylistically, Marcus, and I would wonder what your thoughts are when you watch Russell Wilson, like, I always came became accustomed to those moon balls. It was almost like a punt, right? He leaves the screen, <laughs> right. you're like, oh, that's coming right down in a dime. And Tyler Lockett, didn't matter. He could have a 6-3 DB against 5-8 <laughs> Tyler Lockett, and it was going to be on the money, in the breadbasket. And now it's like there's always a safety over the top of everything. You know, it's like they're just not giving him those throws, and the defense has plenty of time to react to it. So he's trying to throw that kind of pass into tighter windows. That leads to more pass breakups that leads to more interceptions that leads to less big plays because your receiver just gets immediately tackled. So I do wonder with Russell Wilson, like what is his counter move going to be? Because also his mobility is the other thing Mm -hmm. that we've just seen kind of go downhill quickly. That seems to be part of his game that I thought maybe there was a chance. Some of it was still there because it was recently, recently as two years ago, it was decent. But it's really been non-existent, you know, this year. I mean, he had f- his, his high this year is a 57-yard rushing game. But, I mean, he's mostly been like 15 yards, 20 yards, 
10 yards. You know, it's just, it's, it's okay. It's better than nothing, but he's only got 232 yards rushing so far. So I, I don't know. I don't know that if he's got enough tools in the toolkit, you hate to ever count someone like this out though, because he's been good for so long. He really has been. I think you talk about the mobility, and the first thing I thought of was so many of those big Russell Wilson plays we saw in Seattle were kind of the off-platform, off-schedule plays where you know he he sort of runs around like a kid on the playground trying to make himself dizzy, and then next thing you know, he's firing a dart to DK Metcalf or he is throwing one of those moon balls to Tyler Lockett. And I think when you have that lack of mobility, that and the fact that for 10 years now defenses have seen him do this sort of thing and eventually people are going to catch up they're going to start to clue in and you wonder if whether or not all those things have kind of started to come together I think there's also something to be said for Nathaniel Hackett's offense and just not being a a stylistic fit I think and and the the struggles they had trying to get together on that early in the season You, you heard the stories of Russell using audibles or hand signals that he used with the Seahawks and having everybody confused, uh, you know, take some of that with a grain of salt. But I think there were <laughs> there were a lot of things that sort of went into it. Um, but I think whoever comes in, that is going to be job number one. I think much like Doug Peterson coming in, his first job was to sort of right the ship with Trevor Lawrence. Whoever the Broncos hire as their head coach, that job is going to be getting Russell Wilson something close to what he was in Seattle. And so I think, I think this year, everybody will look at it and say, all right, well, you get, you get one more chance. But if we get, you know, into October next year and this offense doesn't look any better, then I think it really does beg the question whether or not Russell Wilson is done. And that's a hard thing to say because he, as you mentioned, he's been so good for yeah. so long. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, maybe, you know, getting another explosive playmaker in the passing game, like, cause really Cortland Sutton's more of that you know, possession type receiver Mm -hmm. that we're just seeing is not working right now against a possession receiver playing outside, working down the field, trying to win 50, 50 balls, contested catches, that kind of thing. Um, It doesn't seem like offenses are able to dictate the type of coverage right now that would make that really successful. And it's impacting Mike Evans it's impacting Cortland Sutton. There's a lot of wide receivers of kind of that mold that are not having good years this year. Um, Their quarterbacks are going through their progressions and they're going elsewhere. And so it's like they probably need like Jerry Judy is really great out of the slot. He's he's a great separator. Like when you watch Jerry Judy, like he's a very smooth operator, mm-hmm. right? He can get open. I know he's had some problems with drops and stuff, but even him, like he's not really great after the catch. He's good. Now, I think their hope was KJ Hamler would be that mm-hmm. for them this year. And he just has not been able to stay healthy. So I would say that could be the other element. Find find a way to find to to bring in another playmaker. Now it's gonna be tough, Marcus. They don't have draft picks. Yeah. They don't have draft picks for a long time. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, they're going to have to be really sharp on the free agent market. And the coach has to be an absolute, you know, it's got to be a home run. This coach has to be a home run hire. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. That'll be one of the offseason storylines I'm sure we're all going to be following uh, to see whether or not the Broncos can get things going back in the right direction. Uh, last couple minutes, uh, Ian Rappaport, he's not the only one, but he did tweet out the list of clinching scenarios for Week 17, what certain teams need in order to lock up a playoff spot, maybe lock up uh, a, a home field advantage or a home game in the postseason, whatever it may be. That list is long. We could spend a whole show pretty much going through all of them. <laughs> but I guess I just want to yeah. ask you, do you look at this sort of thing when you're making start-sit decisions or you're making sort of projections and that sort of thing? Do you do you take into account – that, hey, teams need X players to to help uh, you know clinch a spot or maybe they don't need something this week. Uh, it, 
is that something worth looking at or is this just more of an interesting footnote for us football fans? No, I prefer that they're playing for something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, as long as there's more on the line, there's less chance that somebody's getting rested late in a game, you know, all these sort of things. Now, we've talked about this in the past. A lot of these players have incentive bonuses in their contract that, you know, keeps them on the field anyway, mm-hmm. right? Because the coach may want to get them off the field so they don't <laughs> get them hurt. But if the player's like, dude, I need five more catches to, you know, make my next 250K, like, you know, they're going to be on the field. And so there are other ways that you can stay motivated. There are other ways that you stay on the field. Um, but I think all things being equal, I would prefer it. You know, like when you look at the Dolphins, you know, being eight and seven, you know, you got week 17 against New England, week 18 against the Jets. Those are tough matchups mm-hmm. in the passing game. Like I, I definitely want Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle 100% motivated, right? Especially in matchups like that. Um, so I, I do care. It's not, I think it's something you got to be careful not to double or triple count. Typically the Vegas lines will tell you, you know, if you, if you see, you know, the lines look really good, Vegas expects it to be a competitive game. Well then that's, it's all kind of baked in, right? right? They're going to bake in the kind of stuff where, Oh, these players could be benched. They may not play their starters, all that kind of stuff. So I do think sometimes we can get overly worked up about it. I definitely think we, we can't. You know, there's a lot of things on the periphery that we get overly worked up about, right? Like players may be benched. Uh, are they super motivated? What's the weather going to be like? There's so many of these peripheral things that, you know, in our quest for, I think, more knowledge and more information, maybe sometimes we wait too heavily. Uh, you know, there's, there's definitely, I think, something good to be said about this. I would just warn people not to necessarily, you know, don't make it your whole personality this week. <laughs> just, just make it a part yeah. of your personality. It's still... It is interesting looking at it, though, and like, you know, there are certain things that still just surprise you. You're like, you look at Tampa Bay, and it's not like this huge list of things. It's just Tampa Bay wins. Yeah. You yeah. know, you're seven and exactly. eight, and you just need to <laughs> just win. Just got to win. You know, I mean, like the commanders, it's a little tougher. Like, they've got to win. They need a Seattle loss, a Detroit loss. And this is for this week yes. to clinch, to get, a, to get a playoff, you know, spot. Like, Tampa clinches the NFC South with a win this weekend uh, against mm-hmm. Carolina, because Atlanta's already out of it. That's their week eight. Tampa... Tampa could clinch a playoff spot and rest players in week 18 <laughs> with this record. Uh, it's funny, it's right? Um, and then you get the commanders, right? They need a win plus the Seattle loss, Detroit loss, Green Bay loss, or a tie. That's when they start getting fun. It could be a Green Bay loss or a tie. Um, so they need some other things. But first things first, they've just got to go win their game. But right now, you know, the commanders, uh, you know, if they don't get it this you know, weekend, like if they win and some of those other things don't happen, they'll still be in really good shape in week eight. Right. Well, like the Giants, I think there's seven different combinations of things that could happen for them to get in. And it's like, I didn't even try. I mean, like the first one is just the first one is simple, right? Like when that's it. But then if they tie, there's like, you know, a bunch of things that can happen there. If they lose and like Seattle, there's so many things going on with the Giants. I mean, this is like it is like the worst uh, you know, middle school word, math word problem that you ever wanted. To <laughs> There's say. too many ors. There's way too many you need ors. A flow, you, you need a flow chart. You need a flow chart for this way one. You can't just have ors. it numbered out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, you know what? Cause I know that you know, the, the, the good folks at the NFL research team, they sit and put all these together and God bless those folks for having to come up with all these permutations of, of what could happen for the rest of us. We'll just sit back and watch the games and we'll let the networks tell us uh, whether or not they're in. I don't have to do that kind of math. They don't pay me for that sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, what uh, what we do have here, though, is another good show. We appreciate you hanging out with us. As always, we'll remind you to head over to FantasyLife.com, check out the utilization report, the game hub, sign up for the newsletter, so many more things. Uh, we'll have rankings later on in the week, and we'll be back to talk about those as well. But in the meantime, for Dwayne, I am Marcus. This has been the Fantasy Life Podcast. We appreciate you hanging out. Enjoy the week, and we'll talk to you again real soon.